0: Hey everyone, glad you're joining us today. So I have a question for you. Have you ever been shopping with somebody who has no idea what they want? Even just asking, it stresses me out a little bit because I have and it can be frustrating. So this person, they invite you shopping because they have some sort of a, a painting project and you say yes because you might love picking out paint or you just have nothing better to do. You get to the store, and then you get to the paint section, and once you're there, one thing becomes really clear. This person has no idea what they want, but they definitely know one thing. They know what they do not want. So you're there trying to be helpful, suggesting colors, and it's, oh, I don't like the finish on that one, or the eggshell isn't good, or that's too bright, that's too dull. No, not that. No, not that. And you're like, well, what do you want? You might even yell that at them or just try to escape out one of the back doors like I would. But it seems like there's something similar going on in the text of the commandments. So that's where we're at. We're on our way through the Ten Commandments in this series, and it's found in Exodus chapter 20. And you could get a similar impression from God that you do if you ever go paint shopping with someone who has no idea what they want seems like God's saying, don't do this, don't do that, that's not okay, I don't want you doing this. And even beyond the Ten Commandments, throughout the Bible, it just feels like it's a bunch of rules and don'ts. So it's really easy, after reading the Ten Commandments, to say, all right, well, I know what I shouldn't do, but in this series, we don't want to just leave it at that. I know I'm not content with knowing just what I shouldn't do, so just like paint shopping is easier when the person you're with knows what they want, a relationship with God is easier when you know what he wants. So the question we need to ask when looking at the command is, what is God calling us into? So we're going to use that question as a backdrop as we dive into the command for this week. It's the eighth command. So turn on, open up your Bibles, whatever you, whatever you need to do, and go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. If you've missed the series so far, I'll give you a little bit of a background. So God has freed the Israelites from under slavery in Egypt, and he's given them a set of rules, a set of commands to live by. But these commands, they're more than just rules. They're similar to guardrails on a highway that are meant to protect you and guide you and keep you from putting your car into a ditch. Imagine driving on a highway that didn't have guardrails in it There's a lot of bends and turns, and at any second you just go barreling off into the woods. But God doesn't want that kind of dangerous lifestyle for his children. So these commands, they give us guidance on how we're meant to interact with each other and how we're meant to interact with God. So we see God's heart in this text. You just need the right lens to see it through. Exodus 20, verse 15, the eighth command you shall not steal. And just keep in mind that we want to look at this command through the lens of, what is God calling me, calling us, into? Do not steal. It's not an earth-shattering concept. You've probably been taught from a young age not to steal or take something that doesn't belong to you. But you may have been that kid who stole something small when you were a kid. Maybe some candy from the register or a toy And once you got found out, once you got caught, you were dragged back by your ear, forced to return it and apologize, and you were mortified into never stealing again. Or maybe you've actually stolen recently or steal regularly. Maybe you steal a little bit each year on your tax return, or maybe you take supplies from work that you shouldn't. But I probably don't need to stand here and give you all the ways that it's possible for you to steal because I think we all have an internal sense for this. So don't tune out because I think some of you might be saying, I don't steal. I've never stolen. I don't cheat. I don't even lie. I have people under my employment and I pay them all a fair wage. Whichever way you cut it, I I don't steal. Let me tell you, there's something still for you here. Recognizing and protecting the idea of personal property is something cultures all around the world agree with. And depending on the country that you're in, the consequence for stealing could be anything from just a slap on the wrist to in some places, you can still lose your hand. So we have this universal human ideal of personal property and rightful ownership. And it makes sense since we live in a material world. So why does God care about this? God who lives outside of the material world, he cares about rightful ownership of property. And it's because he cares about our relationships. He cares about our relationships with others and with him. So let's unpack this a little bit. What's going on in God's heart and God's mind when he gives us this command? And let's back up and ask an important question. What prompts us to steal? We're going to ask that because God's interested in attitudes, not just actions. What do I mean by that? God cares more about our motives and our attitudes, our our heart towards things, not simply our our strict obedience of his rules. So Pastor Brad talked about this in a passage from Matthew a couple weeks ago where Jesus explains that anger is the same as murder because God doesn't look at our behavior. He looks at what's going on in our hearts. Jesus says, when we have anger towards someone, It's the same as murdering them in our hearts. So in the same way, is there something going on in the act of stealing, something behind the scenes, inside? So beyond the act of stealing, what's going on on a heart level? Is it fair to say that greed is often behind stealing? With stealing, you want something you don't have. You say, I want that shirt. I want that car. I want it. I don't have it, so I'm just going to take it. So greed is the issue here. Greed's often the reason behind why people steal. So I want you to turn to Ephesians 4, 28. Because it's actually, it's in this passage that we see a broader picture of God's heart behind this command. Because just to satisfy the command by not stealing, it doesn't get to the root of the issue here. It doesn't get to the greed, the real enemy. And Paul, the author of Ephesians, he gets that. He recognizes it, and he calls the church to something more in this text. Ephesians 4, 28 says, Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. The beginning of this verse, it mirrors the command. Anyone who's been stealing... Just imagine the type of destructive lifestyle where we walk around just taking absolutely everything that we want. I want that. I want that. Give me that. Think about how that could hurt people. And God, he doesn't want us hurting people. He doesn't want us to live a lifestyle like that, especially as his children. So what does he want? So we're gonna go back to the middle part of that verse to find that answer. It says, anyone who's stealing must steal no longer, but must work. And this is where I'm going to challenge your thinking just a little bit. In America, we work hard. It's something that is ingrained and built into our culture. I can almost imagine you sitting on your couch right now, nodding your head because you had a long week at work. So we wake up and we work day in and day out. We put in the time, we put in the effort, to achieve success or a certain lifestyle, a certain quality of life. Our culture believes in hard work, in financial independence, in earning a living for yourself and for your family. But have you ever taken the time to sit back and ask why you work? Is it because you have to? Is it simply because you just want some cash? Do you have people to provide for? Is it because it gives you purpose? Because there are certain things that you want? So I'm going to rapid fire some words here and and see how they land on you. Want nicer clothes? Work harder. Want a bigger house? Work harder. Want a faster car? Work harder. Want a raise or promotion? Work harder. Hmm. Does that sound greedy to you? What if I just phrase it a little bit differently? I want nicer clothes. I want a faster car. I want a bigger house. I want, I want, I want. Our culture has this value and it says that if we work, we can have anything that we want. But is this really why we work? Just to get stuff? Is that what Paul wants us to work? Just don't steal, work, and you're good. That's it. No, there's something more here because work is good. We're designed to work. And what Paul does is he challenges the reason why we work in the last words of Ephesians 4.28. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands. Okay, God doesn't want us to steal. He wants us to work. We covered that. But next comes the why. Why, Paul says, we are to work. So that they may have something to share with those in need. Paul's saying, don't steal. Work hard with honesty and integrity so that you can have something to share with those in need. Paul's challenging the church in Ephesus. He's challenging us, the church today, to work hard so that you can share with those in need. That sounds crazy. Imagine you text a friend to hang out and the string of texts goes something like this. Hey, what do you have going on tonight? Oh, nothing. Sorry, I can't hang. I got to work. To reply, oh, bummer. Maybe another time. They say, yeah, got to make that cash so I can give to those in need. You'd be like, what? Nobody says that. They'd be like, got to put food on the table or my bills don't pay themselves. But I have to work so I can give something to those in need. But that's what God wants from us. So God intends for us to labor well. In the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, God, he creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in it. Before even the fall of man, before sin entered the world, God entrusts Adam and Eve with the garden to cultivate it to tend to it, to watch over it, to work. So even in a perfect world, there was work? Yeah. Because God created us in his image and we're meant to work hard because of his hardworking nature. But beyond that, God intends for us to give. And we see this in the same story in Genesis as well, because that's what God did. He created earth, he worked, He created, he finished it. He looked back and he was pleased with it. And then he gave it to man. God worked to give. He created the world, he gave it to us. And as his image bearers, we're actually called to do the same thing. This is a pretty stark contrast between our American values and these biblical values spelled out by Paul in Ephesians. Paul's saying this, if you steal, stop. And start working. But work so you can give, not so you can have. When I asked the question, what is God calling us into? You might've thought it was an easy answer. But Paul's here and he's saying this. He's saying, don't steal, work so you can give. He didn't say, work so you can have what you want and anything you have left over, you can give that away. No, work so you can share with those in need. This is so counter cultural the idea of being a christ follower is so counter cultural because something happens when you decide to follow jesus a shift occurs a heart change a transformation we see this in romans 12:1 and i'm just going to read it for you so just make a note check it out later that's romans 12:1 it says And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, listen to this next part. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul says your life now belongs to God. Offer your life, your words, your actions to him and you will be changed. Your thought process will be changed. Having a relationship with God changes the way we think. It's a journey. It's a journey with Jesus where our hearts are changed first and then our lifestyle follows. You could change your ways, your actions right now. You could give away everything you have, everything you've ever earned. But if your heart isn't changed, if you're not transformed, if your thinking isn't changed, then it doesn't matter. It's God's desire that we be transformed. So how does this intersect with the command not to steal? God wants to transform us from greedy to generous. And I can't give you the exact blueprints for this journey because it's your journey with Jesus and it's the Holy Spirit's lead that is gonna give you an idea of what that blueprint looks like. It's, it is a journey and it's a journey of figuring out how to be generous with your time and your money and your abilities, the tangible things that we all know we're supposed to be generous with. Of course, those are all important. But I want to take a minute to just tell you something that challenged me as I thought about generosity. There's one area we probably don't think of as being either greedy or generous, but it strikes me how important it can be. Our words. Words have so much weight behind them. I bet you could tell me one nice thing and one mean thing somebody said to you This week, because words, they stick with us. So what if we as Christians were known for the words that we speak to others? What if we were not only known for our loving generosity and our giving, but also for the things we say and the way we say them? What if we started with appreciation? And I'm talking about words of appreciation being intentional about telling people that we appreciate them or something they did. We teach our kids to be thankful and express it, to be thankful for everything that you've done for them, that other people do for them. It's literally one of the first things, one of the first phrases that we teach them is thank you. But some sort of shift occurs over time. Maybe we get jaded. Maybe greed does start to set in and we start to feel like we deserve everything that we have and, We've earned it and we don't need to show gratitude for it or even express it. But I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to express appreciation when you feel it. Maybe you can start by telling your boss that you appreciate his leadership, that you appreciate their decisions they make and all the time they put in. If you're a boss, maybe it starts by you telling your employees that you appreciate them showing up day in and day out, and putting in the hours. Maybe you just need to call up somebody in your family and tell them you appreciate everything that you've gotten from them, everything that they've done for you, that you just appreciate their love. I definitely, I don't express appreciation enough. And I just wonder what it would look like if we did this differently. We could all be more intentional about expressing appreciation. So let's try it. Another way we can be generous is with affirmation. Fill in the blank here. You are, did your mind go right to something negative? Because mine typically does. You're annoying. You're disappointing. You're stupid. What a powerful phrase. You are. So what if we used it as a force for good? What if you deliberately told people in your life what you see in them, who they are to you? But not only that, but who God sees them as with those words, with the words of affirmation. I mean, how hard is it to tell somebody what they're good at? You're so creative. You have such an eye for design. I love what you do. You're such a hard worker. You're so driven. You have a goal in mind and you chase it. When's the last time someone spoke like that to you? Hopefully not too long ago, but maybe. Let's change that. Let's be known for building others up with our words, for speaking truth and hope into people's lives because that's what God does for us. And maybe you never thought about generosity this way until today, that you can be generous with your words. But something God put on my heart is how you can give life or you can take life away with your words through appreciation, through affirmation. Let's go back to what Paul said in Ephesians. It's, it's really radical. This idea of going to work, to earning a living, so that I can help others. I see this as this massive shift where God wants to transform us from being selfish to being servants. How many of us drag ourselves out of bed every morning just because we have to? just because we have to go to work, because we have to pay our rent, we have to pay off our student loans, we have people to provide for. And of course, those things are true and they're important, but imagine getting up in the morning and driving to work thinking, what good can I do today because I work? What neighbor can I help because I choose to work? What person can I give a hand to because I work today? It's, it's revolutionary, and it might sound a little bit idealistic, but that's the mindset that Paul is talking about. Here's who you were before you met Christ, a thief. You stole, maybe not money or things, but you stole joy, and you stole life, and you wasted opportunities to help people. But in Christ, your heart starts to soften. A change begins, and you start to have eyes for people in need you start to feel sympathy toward them. And as you continue on this journey with Christ, he takes you even further and you start to see everything you do, everything you earn as a means to serve people. It's incredible. It's incredible the amount of joy that we could give others if we help them. The amount of joy we would feel ourselves if we followed Paul's model here. Stop stealing, but work so that you can share something with those in need. Is this really hard? Yeah. Hard to be generous with our words, right? Hard to think about going to work as if it's for someone else. We live in a culture that tells us all the things that we've earned. Our value system is what we work for, we deserve. And if you don't work, you don't deserve anything. And it's so easy to point fingers and say, you know, this is all that person could do to just help themselves. But here's Paul and he goes, knock it off. Be generous, be a servant. But where do we start? It seems like a really daunting lifestyle change. It's overwhelming, but I would say start small. First, pray about it. Invite God into this process of discovering how you can be generous with what you have and ways that you can serve others. There's opportunities everywhere, every day, but you just have to open your eyes. Look at the world through God's eyes, and you'll start to see that there are people in need. Look at yourself through his eyes, and you'll realize that you're exactly the person to help them. Let's pray. God, I pray for each person listening right now that you would begin to work in their heart, that you would begin to soften each one of us and give us eyes to see your people through. God, I invite you to transform me, to transform us into your generous servants who have your heart to serve others. I pray that you would make each of us less humble us so that we can be your hands and feet to the world so we can live out your desire for our lives so that we can work for others, not just ourselves. Thank you for being a God who loves so deeply and transforms us with that love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.